Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom, he, him, and Dawn Lister, she, her. Today we are joined by a dear friend of ours, Dr. Ashish Paul, she, her. Um, uh, Ashish is an Ayurvedic doctor, a medical herbalist. She specializes in using Ayurveda and herbal medicine to support people who have challenges with fertility. Dr. Ashish herself has twins, a girl and a boy who were born via IVF and she'll talk to us about that in more detail. She lives in London and she's a specialist, a specialist in natural fertility. Dr. Ashish, welcome so much to our podcast. We are delighted to speak to you. Hello to both of you, beautiful people. I miss both of you uh, not being in the center. And um, I'm so pleased to be here. Finally, we managed to get together and do this. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Dr. Ashish has been very generous and come to our center on a number of occasions to um, educate and share her wisdom around the subject of Ayurveda. And they were so well received, those workshops. Um, so we're kind of hoping that maybe in the new year with things settling down now, hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed, touch wood, um, that we can have you back and uh, get to see you again face to face. So let's check in. How are we all doing today? Daniel, how are you? What's occurring in your world? I'm very well, thank you, Dawn. And like we've just said, it's really lovely to be here with Ashish. Um, yeah, you feel part of the extended family, definitely, of Anahasi Yoga Centre. <laughs> um, what have I been up to? I went to, actually, I went to the theatre a couple of weeks ago. I was really, really fortunate to um, have got to see the stage version of Life of Pi. And it's just such an amazing story that I've loved since it won the Booker Prize years ago. And, um, you know, with everything that's been going on over the last 18 months, we had tickets for it 18 months ago and it got cancelled and then rescheduled and then rescheduled again. But it was just such an amazing experience because the story is told from a, 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 a young boy's perspective, young, young Indian boy, um, who they his family choose to leave India because of the civil unrest that's happening and, and try to um, relocate to Canada. And along the way, um, while they're traveling, um, the ship that they're traveling on goes down. And um, unfortunately, he loses all of his family, but his dad owned a zoo that they were relocating. And he ends up on a boat with some of the animals from the zoo. And it's just such a, it's like an adult fairy tale. And yeah. it's so beautiful. And the way that they created the, the illusion of the animals with human beings within puppets or within sort of, you know, these life size or bigger than life size, actually, you know, moving animals that were puppets. It was just phenomenal. And the whole stage, there was parts when the stage was like they were on the boat and the water was like sort of swirling around them. And there was animals sort of popping out of the stage and then coming back down again. It was absolutely amazing. It was like being took into another world completely. So if you haven't seen it, 
um, which I doubt anyone has yet because it, it's only just come out um, in the West End. Um, we were lucky to see it when it was in previews, but I would really recommend going to see it because it's such a beautiful story and it's such a poignant story. And it is, it's so much, you know, like everything in life about loss, but also about joy and about connection with ourselves and connection with other human beings and other animals as well. So I, I just loved it, really did. So um, that was my, that would be my recommendation. <laughs> have you been keeping dawn yeah okay as everybody is bored of hearing i'm still struggling with my long covid and i had a really awful dip the past three weeks but past five days i'm starting to feel almost human i've managed to have two days without full-on three-hour naps <laughs> that's like hallelujah so yeah that's good um feeling better and um i have been i've been watching um on TV, the thing with um, Alan Cummins in Miriam Margulies. And oh my God, it's the most beautiful, sensitive, joyful piece of TV I've seen in such a long time. I just, I mean, I always quite liked Alan Cummins as an actor, but I didn't know him like as an individual. And I absolutely adore him now. I'm just like, He's amazing. And the, the little relationship between Miriam and Alan is incredible, isn't it? They, they had in the, the final episode last night, she, I didn't, she, she likes to eat a raw onion for breakfast. Oh, I mean, I love raw onions. I quite often chop a raw onion and put it in my food, but I don't know that I'd sit and eat one like an apple. I, she does. She says, and eats it like an apple. And she farts all the time. She was sitting in this queer cafe in Edinburgh in, um, oh God, where was it? And it was somewhere I used to live in Edinburgh. It was quite a little cool, trendy place. And um, she's sitting with this person who's like in full drag and then this other woman and Alan and they're chatting away. And then all of a sudden she's oh, wait a minute, I have to fart. And she just leans to the side and lets rip. I was just like, oh my God, I would, I would have died. I, it was the funniest thing ever. But it, it was all around all the areas of my hometown where I grew up because it ended up in Edinburgh and lots of places I'd visited and spent time. So it was really touching. Made me, it feel, made me feel a little bit sad and also like really just made me smile because they're brilliant, isn't it? We love Alan Cummings, don't we, Daniel? He's amazing. Yeah, he's a, he's a huge, huge, huge. Um, yeah, just I find him really inspiring. I really mm -hmm. do. He, he just, I, I think I've, I've read book by him which was about his father and the abusive relationship with his father yeah. um, or that his father had with him and after I read that book I just saw him in a completely different light and I understood how he could go to those depths of playing those characters that are so you know so deep and so twisted because he's really good at playing those you know like he's really famous for playing Macbeth and he played the MC, didn't he? In um, um, what was the what was the show that had Liza Minnelli in it? Cabaret. Yeah, he played the MC on on Broadway, didn't he? In, in Cabaret, and you know those really dark, intense character, and you can understand completely when you read the book where he's managed to go to get some of this stuff from. And actually, they touch upon it in that program, didn't they? On yeah. the first week, they went back to his home. 
and he hadn't been there for a long time and he couldn't even go in the house because he was so traumatized by what happened to him within it and just to see him there it yeah I find it I found it really moving yeah and yeah I just I listened to um homo sapiens as well a lot which he was on for a whole season mm. which was an amazing podcast all about queer people <laughs> and it was just yeah I just love him I just think he's brilliant <laughs> he's amazing and you're spot on he's he I noticed that when he's all through the season he goes he's very reflective and he's very measured he's he's clearly he reminded me of you a little bit actually in the way you handle people where you are with he's very respectful of Miriam but very loving and and the people around him he's he's not he doesn't I mean he might be completely different off set I don't know but he's he's he doesn't feel like a diva and I know that you know for people to experience a sense of wholeness and integration they need to have gone to those dark places and found a safe way of containing them and understanding how they how they can have that in their past or even in their present and still have compassion for themselves and others and still be in the world in a really whole way and you can tell he's done the work you know you really can and I kind of thought I wonder if he's done some yoga I bet he's done some yoga yes, he's, he's a huge yoga advocate is huge, he? huge yoga advocate yeah oh Alan Cummings please come on our podcast we need to reach out to Alan yeah and he's and he did and he had Reiki didn't he in the session Miriam fell asleep probably farted as well but it was <laughs> You don't want someone farting while you're having some Reiki, oh my god. So yeah, that's my recommendation for this week. You go and, if you've not got it, download it and check it out, it's really good. Dr. Paul, what about you? How, what have you been up to? Oh, I, I don't know that program and uh, I have seen Life of Pi movie and it's like a magical film, you know. Um, and there's one other thing that I felt similar magic was the book, which is called Life Autobiography of a Yogi. That book is like, it's a, it's so magical, you know, the things that are happening in his life. Um, so that movie is like that. It's just, that's the kind of feeling you get this ethereal feeling of either watching that movie or reading that autobiography as well. But I, I agree with you, Dawn, when you talk about going to that place within you. And I think that's why, I mean, I love act, the, the work that actors do because I, I love cinema. For me, big screen is like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I, and I, we do watch a lot of films as well, me and my twins, Indian films as well. As you know, India produces so many movies. Um, but it's the fact that you can step into that feeling of a character is probably the hardest thing. You know, I can't, <laughs> I can't pretend to be anything apart from myself and to be able to do that, take on a role and get into that space. I find that similar feeling when you write because I do a lot of, all my uh, scripts for my work are written by me. Um, so, and I know that my mentor, he has been talking about touching that uh, emotional note because my work especially is all about emotions, you know, getting pregnant and fertility, the whole journey. And I have been very scared to go there. One that it is very hard to, for me to personally write about it because of my lot of personal experiences. 
And I also am very, uh, <laughs> I'm very cautious of not hurting people because it's a very um, raw nerve that you that I might hit with someone. But to be able to write that experience, to be able to empathize with somebody, you have to find that within yourself. And that, that's the thing about when I watch these shows or difficult performances, I think, how did they get into that? You know, they have to go so much deep into themselves and to feel that rawness again and again, it's very hard. Uh, but yeah, that's what I, my views are about that. <laughs> It's a great book. I've read Autobiography of a Yogi and thought I thought it was really um yeah quite a powerful read. I really enjoyed it. I would recommend yeah. it. Let's let's crack on because we've got a lot of things we want to cover. So let's can we start by asking you to share with our listeners what is Ayurveda? Can you tell us, you know, let's start with that. Oh my gosh, Don. This is something that I've been talking about for the last 25 years or since I've been here in this country, 23 years. Um Ayurveda is, as the two, it, it, it's made up of two words. Ayur, Ayur means life. Veda, Veda means knowledge. It comes from the word vid. And Ayur comes from the word Ayur, and means life. So it's knowledge of life. How do you live your life? In good health, in bad health, in happiness, in sadness. So Ayurveda is, a, is an art and science of life. It's a way of life. It is not only a medicinal system. It is a system of healthcare when you are healthy and when you're not healthy. And look at Ayurveda, how beautiful it is. It talks about when you are happy and when you're unhappy. So it is about living in all those scenarios and not just living how you live as a human being, but how do you live in congruence with animals with the environment with the other human beings it talks about all of that so that's what Ayurveda is and as we know Ayurveda developed as we developed as human beings um, it comes from Indian subcontinent but we don't really have any exact date for it uh, you know when it developed uh, but it is eternal as we say could you explain to us, and thank you for that. I, I know that if we'd really let you, you'd be talking for an hour and a half because there's so much to say. We can have a whole podcast just on Ayurveda. We should. <laughs> whole series. We should. Yeah. We should maybe do that next season. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about how yoga fits into Ayurveda because people don't, a lot of people, especially people who are maybe just touching on the surface of what yoga is, don't realize that yoga is a very small part of the Ayurvedic science. Yes. So it is. Uh, yoga and Ayurveda, they fit together. Yeah. So I always fi find this, um, and this I realized initially when I was learning yoga and here in this, in this country, and I thought, I presume that everybody who's a yoga uh, master or teacher knows about Ayurveda. And then I met people who didn't even, had never even heard of Ayurveda, and they were yoga teachers. And I thought, how is that possible? Because they are together. Um, so we use a lot of principles of Ayurveda in um, yoga and yogic principles in Ayurveda. So it is combined, especially when we talk about mental diseases, when we talk about um, the mental side of things, psychological, psychic side of uh, a personality, they come more from yogic understanding. 
So that's how they both fit together. Without each other, they, they, I don't think anybody who's learning yoga, they should all be learning Ayurveda. Again, I think there's an awful lot more to say about that, but we'll come back on another episode. Stay tuned for season three. Um, okay, let's talk about what you came to chat to us today, because I know that um, you do a lot of work supporting people who are having fertility challenges. So, and that's your passion and your specialism. Can you maybe say a few words about how you came to be interested in that particular field and, and then maybe how... Ayurveda can support somebody's fertility journey. Yeah. So as far as uh, supporting people going through any kind of health issues is when we when we talk from a holistic point of view, I'm I'm supporting the person. So whatever that person's imbalance is, whether that imbalance is to do with fertility or anything else, I'm supporting that whole person, their physical side, their mental side, their emotional side, all of it. Yeah, my journey into um, fertility is that I started in Gaini. I was doing, I was delivering babies when I was in India. I worked in a Gaini hospital for five years and I was ready to open my own clinic, shifted here to this country and then came round circle uh, because I have, uh, I have kids or had them into the 10th year of our marriage, right? So kind of struggled I don't see it as a struggle for myself because uh, you know I don't think we were very actively doing anything uh, but we had kids after eight years of also of trying yeah and when eventually then we uh, we were looking into adoption as well then we we looked into IVF and we thought okay I personally thought to myself I just want to do one cycle of IVF if this is my destiny and I am happy, I, uh, you know, this is my path uh, that I will have kids using IVF, then I will give it one go. And I'm one of those very few percentage wise under 5% people who conceived first cycle of IVF. Yeah. And I've got a boy and a girl, they're 13 and a half right now, uh, healthy individuals. But it's then when I started meeting people, I used to take them to twins and triplet club. And I started meeting more women um, who had twins and triplets as well. And then I, in, in one of those conversations, somebody mentioned, oh, she has had seven cycles of five years. And it was a shock for me. First time when I heard that, um, and I thought, what, seven cycles to go through this again and again and again. And that's where it, you know, that's where the, the spark started. And I thought, why are we not doing anything natural? Why are women going through all of this without any support from herbal? And we have got such a vast array of resources that we can use from holistic point of view, from herbs, from therapies, from diet, uh, lifestyle. So that's where I started looking into it, starting supporting women who were going through miscarriages they conceived and slowly then I got more into it um, but I think for last six years I've been consistently using this particular way that I support these women I put myself on mute because there was ambulances going past <laughs> 
forgot it's on mute. I'm back. Um, thank you for that, um, uh, Dr. Paul. So you were fortunate enough to conceive straight away in your first cycle, which as you say, is quite rare. You so often hear people really struggling. And I think that probably has quite a big impact emotionally on them that they're having to try time after time after time to get pregnant. Um, and would it be fair to say that that impact psychologically would have an impact on their ability to conceive? Yeah, absolutely. I think, and that is my, you know, my frustration with this whole thing is that anybody who's going through any fertility issue, uh, especially with IVF, especially when you're putting so much money into this and resources and emotions and, and all of it, is that you need to prepare beforehand because IVF does not work first time for most people. Yeah. Success rate of IVF, even at the best, is only 30, 35%. And that is under 35 years old when women are under 35 year old. And that is a very small percentage of women, which means uh, it's a given that first cycle is not going to work. It's a given that first cycle is almost like a trial cycle for women to see how they're going to respond to the medicines, to see how their bodies, how many eggs they can collect first time, to see how they overall, uh, you know, respond to the medicines. But you are correct. It is, I think this is a classic example of when you want to grab that, I don't know, that moving ball and it misses every time. And when it misses second time, you're even more desperate to catch it, you know? And IVF is just like that because you want this and, and because people have no idea what they are going into and what IVF whole journey can throw all sorts of different balls at you, which you had no idea and the test after test that you might be doing. So it is correct to say, we know that stress directly affects the blood supply to the uterus and it can cause miscarriage directly. We know that from studies. So when you are under this much pressure to perform, right, because you, you want your body to perform even with these drugs and that stress overall and the anxiety is through the roof that every single day, because imagine this, perhaps you, you've never thought of it this way. Fertility disappointment of not having a child is not at the end of an IVF cycle. It's every single day, yeah? So from the moment you're ovulating, if you're trying naturally, you are waiting next day and next day and next day until you have a missed period. And if you don't, then it's the next cycle. So there is this constant anxiety. Am I pregnant? Am I gonna get pregnant this time, next time, this cycle, next cycle? It is exhausting, I think it is. And that's why it has been recognized as PTSD. Uh, now, that women who are going through IVF, especially, um, they are being recognized as gone through PTSD. Wow, did not know that. Just going to um, ask and, off and offer some, you know, some 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 words as well. Actually, I'm, um, you know, I, I've I've had some close experience um, with people that I'm very close with who have been through IVF treatments. And what was really clear to me 
the process the, the 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 processing of the IVF felt very supportive and mm. felt very safe but actually the losses that they was experiencing there was no support around that and like you said you know the chance of IVF happening for the first time is quite quite slim you then you know maybe have a loss or a couple of losses and then you know you find yourself in a in a spiral <laughs> of fear and worry and anxiety around and also you know a financial burden around you know the the whole process as well and it just you can understand how it becomes so consuming and so overwhelming um for people who are going through these treatments and you know from from what i saw there was there was quite a lack of support around the losses that were that they the the people that were having the ivf treatment that were experiencing and it was almost sort of like oh come back when you're ready and actually how do you know when you're ready how do you know when you've dealt with grief of something that actually you know you haven't met <laughs> or, or you know uh, grief is something that actually feels intangible to you because you know it is it, it, it's such a difficult area isn't it and it's an area we just do not talk about enough in society and you know i know so many so many people that have been through the processes either of miscarriage through natural mm. um ovulation and and pregnancy or or through ivf treatment that actually just need support around the grief that they're experiencing and that grief being whether you know the the egg doesn't 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 form or actually you know the the loss of actually not knowing even what's happening in the first place and just being in that constant cycle of fear and worry and doubt and to me it just feels like as a society we need to talk about this stuff so much more that's what we are doing <laughs> talking about it and you're right it is because everything every loss in on fertility journey whether natural conception or ivf it's a loss of a family in a way right because you have this this golden dream of having a family with one kid or or twins or whatever and when that doesn't happen it's a shattering of that dream every single time and what's happening with IVF is because IVF is so monitored, every single step of it, you can see. You can see the egg collection. You can see them even getting, you know, the embryos being uh, formed. You can see every single step of it. And I think knowing that much also adds to the anxiety. I'm of that opinion. I'm that kind of person where ignorance is a bliss. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know a little bit. That's okay, but I wouldn't want to know in this detail. But I think when you are on IVF journey, there is no other way because doctors are monitoring. Also, they are aware that you are spending so much money on IVF. So they are monitoring every single aspect of you. And so it's, yeah, it is, we are not talking about it enough. We don't talk about women's issues enough anyway. Uh, we know that medical issues and other issues and that IVF or fertility journey, it's a mental health issue because it affects, it really wrecks your mental health. Um, more so for women than men. I'm not, 
I'm very aware that it, it it's for both. Uh, it's for the whole couple and sometimes even for the extended family as well when they do know that they're going through IVF. But it is definitely more for the women, um, large percentage of it. So we do need to talk and educate women so that they have a choice, you know. Yeah, I agree. So, so talk us through, what is it that if someone were to come and see you at the clinic, what is it that you are offering that might be supportive? I mean, firstly, do you run the natural fertility journey alongside IVF to support the IVF journey? Or is it something you do only separately? Or can you talk a little bit more about what that might look like? Yeah, so I support, I can support both ways. Either you want to conceive naturally, and I can support you through that journey, uh, or you have IVF journey, and I can so go al alongside and support you with natural stuff. Yeah, uh, when I do one-on-one -on -one work, I do online work as well, where you could be in any part of the world, and if you want to want me to work with you, we can do that as well. So when people come to me, it is about supporting them at every single step. Uh, it is not most of the time, it's not even about doing any therapy. It's about somebody being there who's, who's an educated practitioner who can talk to you and put your, all these queries and questions that you have in your head uh, to rest and who can give you little... Because I see myself or practitioners like myself who are in between doctors and um, other end of, you know, like not even therapists, but below even therapist, because I'm not fully, fully, I don't wear a white coat, uh, you know, from, for that sense. I'm very supportive and more like a friend, but still I am a practitioner, yeah? So I am in that uh, soft space for them where I can hold hand with them and sit with them. If they cry, then let them cry, be there for them, uh, which they need more than, a family member because family members have their own agendas and they are not necessarily the best people to be around at this time more more because they don't know enough and they are not sure how much they can talk about certain issues with the person you know uh, so i support both ways uh, whether you want to conceive naturally or you want me to support you when you're going through ivf journey and how is it that apart from being, I like that the word you use, you're a soft space. And I think that's really important because when you're in a place of high anxiety, which I know, you know, we, we all are, even if you conceive naturally without any difficulty, if you're planning on doing it, you're immediately got that expectation and there's a slight anxiety that arises anyway. Um, so you, you offer that soft space where people can come and feel really safe to explore their emotional and mental experience, which is great. What else do you, is it that an Ayurvedic treatment or session would offer that's gonna help people? So I work with people generally, minimum I ask them to work with them is about three months. Um, and through that time, I support them with therapies, which are Ayurvedic therapies, uh, fertility massages, Shirodhara, full body massages, uh, I do colonic lens, panchkarma. Basically, panchkarma is the base of my work uh, that I offer my uh, fertility patients, but without doing the full panchkarma because full panchkarma is very long. 
of course, it's very expensive. So I have taken the best of that that we can use in the minimum amount of time because time is the thing that they don't have, you know. Um, and with that, I give them herbs. I do fertility meditation sessions, which are and also NLP training sessions with my clients uh, to give them that mindset. Uh, to work with them and we do these sessions where they can record these sessions and they can play those sessions back to themselves i use yoga i use yogic nidra um, which is more like hypno uh, doing hypnosis so i use all of that with my clients kind of weekly work and then there is eight sessions which are intense therapy sessions that they have to come to the clinic for uh, two hours of therapy every day that's the minimum you can do more than that but that's the minimum that they will require. Can you say what panchakarma is? Because not everybody will know what that means. So panchakarma is a set of uh, five main treatments. Panch means five. It's five actions that you're doing intensely over a period of three and a half to four weeks. Uh, it's a deeply detoxifying and rejuvenating treatment that we uh, do from Ayurveda. And it involves full body massage, drinking internal ghee, uh, taking medicated ghee, then we do um, we do medicated emesis, which we don't tend to do here in England, we don't do that. Um, and the next therapy is we do purgation, uh, cleansing via uh, cleansing your gut. And then that is followed by colon cleansing, which is done with either with oils or we do with decoction so it's a it's a very full-on program and we do panch karma for all sorts of conditions we don't just only do it for fertility it's a rejuvenating program my my whole fertility work is about rejuvenating eggs and sperms wow it sounds like the sort of thing that most of us would probably benefit from so would it be fair to say this rejuvenation is not just a physical thing so as well as having the bodywork massage with these special oils, um, which is going to be superbly supportive for your body. And we know the body and mind connection is deeply entwined. You can't really separate them. So you're working on the body, but also the mind and the mindset. So you're bringing all those things together to create a perfect environment or as, as healthy an environment as possible for the person who's trying to conceive. You're correct. I am trying to do my best here. <laughs> uh, but yes, with with uh, Ayurvedic approach, and I also use Western herbs as well. I'm trained in NLP and yoga. So I combine them together. Because as you have pointed out correctly, mind and body is closely interlinked. There's nothing that affects one and doesn't affect the other. So whichever way it is, if you have a physical ailment, it will affect your mind. If you have a mental ailment, it will affect your uh, body and vice versa. And then there is a cycle, you know, they follow each other. Uh, so I work with that. I work on all these aspects. And that is why my work is very extensive. You know, most of the people who are doing work in the space of fertility support, they are they are doing shorter programs, which is mainly to work on emotional side or talking, supporting them or counseling kind of work. Whereas mine is, uh, is all of that together, the best that natural medicine can offer you. Because Ayurvedic Panchkarma is probably the ultimate detoxification program that you can have, yeah? 
I was just going to ask Ashish, and maybe for people listening as well, it might be useful to go just that little stage further to maybe talk about the different dosha types, because actually that affects, doesn't it, the way that you would treat someone depending on whether they're more kapha or vata or pitta. And I assume that, you know, a lot of the people that you're working with who are coming with high anxiety, stress, are probably vata, pitta, dominant in their in their dosha <laughs> so you know uh, your and an ayurveda's objective is to bring all of those doshas back into some sense of balance isn't it um you know from a from a yogic perspective it's finding that sattvic place within ourselves isn't it of you know not being too one way or the other would you like to say a little bit more about the doshas because actually i think that's the unique part of Ayurveda isn't it that some people might know or know a little bit about and some may never heard of at all no no I just spoke to a patient this morning and she didn't know about it and um, based in Finland so you're correct this is all to do with uh, Ayurveda or any holistic medicine is based on your constitutions how your body and mind behaves and everybody is unique in that perspective uh, even though we have three types vata pitta and kapha and then we have the mix of vata pitta pitta kapha vata kapha uh, but even within that how much pitta how much vata somebody is you know that's the beauty that's where it becomes very very subjective and then you add to that mix how you were brought up and what happened with your parents and what food you ate which country you lived in all of that affects how you present as a human being and I do see that when I see with my patients and you see trends with fertility as well. We know that certain diseases, for example, endometriosis is more common in women who are more pitta type. Uh, we have PCOS more common in women who are kapha type uh, and so on and so forth. Every disease has a predominance in certain doshas, in certain body types and certain mind types. So you are correct. All net my work is based on what is your constitution and we give therapies, herbs, even mindset training. I, you know, I adjust it according to the kind of person you are. If somebody is a very high strung vata, they will not be able to sit down for a yoga. Uh, you know, they, they need a different type of yoga. They need a walking meditation rather than a sitting down meditation. So these are the unique things that uh, we need to know our constitution just like we need to know our skin whether you're dry skin or an oily skin and what kind of moisturizer you can use same way what kind of herbs what kind of foods you can eat is based on what is your body how does your body behave how does your mind behave so you're correct and I love doshas um, and people who know a little bit they they think that it should be taught to children my kids know it because they've grown up with it but we need to know this from a holistic point of view. When we look into holistic healing, we need to know our constitution, otherwise it doesn't work. That's the subjective angle that even modern medicine now is taking, yeah? When we talk about a particular medicine, subjectively working on you or not is because of your constitution. Would you say, Dr. Paul, that the modern world is set up for people to be in a good place to get pregnant? No. No, I would agree. I feel like, I, I'm, maybe I'm being a bit controversial here, but I think the modern world is set up for no one to thrive in any way whatsoever. 
And I kind of feel like maybe rather than try to adapt to the modern world, we kind of maybe need to go push back and say, this isn't set up for a healthy life, you know, in our mind or our body and our relationships in any way. And maybe even I'm kind of very much of the view, take a step back and work out what's going to be right for you rather than try and keep up with this intense a consumerism and b needs to be constantly doing and producing and part of everything it feels like we're all running if we're not very careful on adrenaline which we know is going to make our body very sort of volatile and i think the term would maybe be i don't know whether i'm correct in this but acidic would that be right to say uh it Acidic is one thing, but it is definitely not the balanced state. Um, and we know that most of us are running on adrenaline. Um, it, you know, the mismatch is where we have human being or human body is still, it works like it was when it was evolving. We, we are still animal in that um in that understanding that it works with the nature, with the universe. It is very much entangled with um, how the sun cycle is, how the moon cycle is. People don't know this enough, yeah? Uh, and on the other hand, we have this technology, which is just going crazy wildly one after the other advancement, yeah? And there are two, almost like two different aspects because technology is all to do with the vata. Yeah, it's ethereal, it's fast, it's erratic, it's just going at supersonic speed, whereas the body needs time for certain things. And it has certain processes which are going to happen at certain specific times. Yeah, we cannot fast forward that. Now, when you try to meet them together, the speed doesn't correlate. And that is the problem we have in everything that we are trying to do, the lifestyle that we, we are living. And I'm very conscious of that for myself. Yeah, uh, because I remember a couple of years ago, uh, took kids to so summer holiday, we went to Surrey or Sussex near us, really idealistic, you know, cottage and we stayed there and there were fields and kids could run around. I can see how that is beneficial for the children. They can go around, they can run around, they can experience use that energy, which we can't do when people are living in small houses, when you're living in flats, you, you don't have enough availability, yeah? And even for myself, I'm very aware how to slow certain things down, yeah? And you are right, it, it, the way the whole modern society or right now, the kind of lifestyle we have, I'm even amazed when people are getting pregnant with the lifestyle that some of us have is just crazy. With that much workload that women have, because women are working, which they were not 100, 150 years ago, they were not working outside the houses, they were working extensively within the homes, but they were not going out to do these work. Um, and that has an effect on fertility. That has a pragmatic effect on your overall how on your timeline you know is this the right time to get pregnant or not and I can see why I see so many women who are 35 plus because by then yes of course you are settled you have gone through probably 10 years of 
job, you have got some money saved and now you would love to have children and then the body is shutting down, yeah? Because Ayurveda says the same thing and I was listening to another neuroscientist podcast and they're saying the same thing. The prime fertility is at 25. Who, who thinks about getting pregnant at 25, right? So we, we are really, this is lopsided, you know? It's the other way around. So you are correct. We, we, need to, we need to educate ourselves. I think women definitely need to educate themselves much more because they, they do have this biological window uh, for fertility. And I'm not saying to anyone to have kids at a certain age. All I'm saying is learn about it, educate yourself so that you can make those choices at the right time, whatever that right time is for you. Thank you. That's a really um, helpful um, explanation. And as you were speaking, I was thinking the words that came to me was fertility is a feminist issue. <laughs> and maybe that's the wrong language. I don't know. Um, I'm sure I'll be corrected if I'm incorrect. But I just think, you know, we aren't, the world isn't set up to allow us the space to be in a place where we want to be getting pregnant and having a family. You know, I often have conversation with male friends, I've got a lot of friends who are in business and own businesses, and they still say, I mean, they're bloody dinosaurs, to be quite frank, but they still say, I'll employ a bloke over a girl any day because she's going to leave us and get pregnant. And I know so many women that are frightened to take a step back, take their feet off the wheel of pushing and driving forwards to have a family. And, they, you know, that's, that's wrong, you know, it's wrong. It's wrong. You know, people should be allowed time and space to fulfill that desire if it's if that's their wish and not everybody wants to have children and you know why should they it's not everybody's cup of tea at all um but if it is it shouldn't affect the pressure shouldn't be put upon you that you can't take the time and space to enjoy that to enjoy the process of getting pregnant being pregnant bonding with your child making space for your child and then still have a place that's of value within the workplace and within society. And it might look similar to how it was before you had a child, it might look different, but it's always going to be better because you've had more experience. Any experience we have, whether it's pregnancy or something else that brings, that changes you and challenges you in some way, gives you wisdom, doesn't it? It gives you adaptability. You learn something from that experience and you bring that hopefully forwards with you into where you go into what happens next and I just think the world isn't set up to look after us at all it's set up for us to stay the same and never to change and just to be productive I really think human beings are meant nowadays in society not in reality to just be producing things to be part of this huge consumer belt that's feeding more and more stuff and it's not about thriving it's not about connection it's not about joy it's not about healing it's not about creating community it's about buying stuff and being earning enough money to buy more stuff absolutely i mean oh you we can talk about this whole day uh fertility is a feminism feminist issue you know it is an issue about society overall uh, as i said women's issues are not spoken about enough i don't I feel we do not value women enough uh, overall, right? Because women 
through this whole thing, even if you look at from a fertility point of view, the, the time and effort that goes into getting pregnant, especially when you're struggling to get pregnant, the time that you're going to have to take off from work, go to the appointments, come back, do the therapy work, even to take the medicine, do the injections, it, it is really heavy on resources uh, from a woman's point of view. And society is not ready to talk about it. We are not ready to take responsibility overall of that whole process that this woman who has, uh, when you lose a baby, when you lose a pregnancy at any stage is really, really tough. Um, I know this from personal experience and I know this from patients' experiences that when you want to get pregnant, your body and mind is gearing to get pregnant at least six months to a year in advance. Yeah, when you are naturally trying to get pregnant, if you have that intention that next year you want to get pregnant, your body starts to prepare for that. I know that from my own experience, I started to put on a little bit of more weight and I thought, why is this happening? And then I was pregnant with twins and it happened again. Yeah, so I know this. And then once you have had the kids, it takes about a year, at least, at least a year to take off that whatever you have gained in terms of hormones and weight and all of that, yeah? So you are putting in what? Two to three years into one pregnancy, yeah? And you don't get that much valuation of yourself. You're not valued enough. Just imagine if, if I mean, <laughs> I'm probably too controversial with all of this thing, but if you were working for somebody, to, to do three years of work of that value where you're providing a human being to someone, what's the value of that? Can we put any value on that? And then we are not looking after those women because, and that's my hugest contention with IVF, even when it's a male factor in fertility, it's the women who end up having all the treatments, right? So you have male factor issue where the sperms are not enough or sperms are faulty or sperms have any genetic issues. And you go through what is called ICSI. ICSI is a very highly specialist form of IVF. So all you need even for that is one single sperm. Sometimes even single sperm is not available. What you have is the genetic material of the man. Woman still needs to go through the whole process of IVF, right? So we are not supporting that. And we are sitting on this time bomb of, you know, and IVF, I mean, I've heard it from so many patients. People see IVF as this golden treatment, as if it is, it's a sure shot of having a, having a baby. It's not. And that is the part of education that we need to talk about, that women really need to look into uh, what choices do they want to make for themselves in terms of work-related choices, in terms of if they want to have then children, do they are they happy to, do they definitely want to get pregnant themselves or are they happy for somebody else to carry that baby because they're happy to just have the baby as such because surrogacy is on increase right now for the same reason that women, by the time they do realize they want to have children, uh, they may not be able to.
And I think what you've touched upon there, Ashish, is really, you know, re really pertinent at the moment within my com queer community is, you know, for the first time in a long time, it feels like actually there are options available for queer couples or queer individuals mm. to be able to have families. And, you know, IVF is, is an amazing way that some people may turn. Surrogacy is another way, adoption, you know, they're, they're natural birth as well, depending on, you know, the relationship or, you know, the partnership that you're, or co-parenting that you're choosing to do. But actually how amazing, we've got all these different ways but then fundamentally, when you step outside of that process, we're stepping back into a society that actually isn't accepting. <laughs> and and for, a, for, a, for a, a cisgendered woman stepping into, you know, back into work after taking three months off after having a child is, you know, they probably don't want to be doing that, but they're being forced to do it. Yeah. And for queer couples or queer families you know, stepping back into a world where actually the healthcare system isn't set up to, to deal with queer people necessarily, you know, so much of the, the media and mainstream information that gets put out is about cis heteronormative couples. You know, you're, you're, it feels like there's this constant rhetoric or battle against everything that you're trying to achieve, which is not supportive <laughs> for, for, for any of those. I have a point to make here because I, I know, and there is a petition going on for this, that uh, in NHS, if you are a same-sex couple, there is an extra charge if you want to go through NHS IVF. Wow. Seriously. Why? Is that, is that charge forced upon the couple? Or yes. the trust that they're no, no, forced upon the couple. Wow. But why? Because... For what reason? Uh, I haven't totally looked into it myself. What is the? What could be the reason? I mean, I, I, I don't know because it has the country has overall Christian values. Does it come from that? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, but there is this, and there is a petition for that um, because that's totally. Uh, it's not fair. And it's not even required. Why are we doing that? Absolutely. Uh, if we have accepted same-sex marriages and same-sex couples and they are equal, then they should be equally given a chance. It's a couple. doesn't matter what kind of couple is made as a couple, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, even, even breaking that further down, who, who, you know, a, a family has so many different representations now. A family can quite easily be a parent and a child. <laughs> it can be same-sex parents. It can be trans parents. It can be the cisgendered trans person. You know, as long as that child is wanted and loved. Absolutely. That, that's a family. <laughs> In Ayurveda, you'll be surprised to know, perhaps, uh, obviously, this is not well known, but in Ayurveda, it, it, it talks about all of this, different types of families. You can have a family where if you are not able to have a um, child yourself, then somebody else can carry that child for you. So there were a facility even then. So yeah. just imagine thousands of years ago, they're talking about this. 
and when sometimes women cannot lactate themselves they can't breastfeed there is a you know wet nurse who's breastfeeding your kid so ayurveda talks about all of these possibilities but in in the wider society we don't see it um you know it is now I, because i'm linked to all different people who come from all, all these backgrounds that we are discussing here and uh, LGBTQ community and different, all the gender fluidity in between and surrogacy itself and adoption. I see more of it, but when we talk to normal people, they they are not aware of that this is happening. And we, we got to be discussing more of this. And I, I personally, I love it when I see two dads having babies, I see their pictures. It's like, oh, it's so cute. You know, it's so wonderful. And I have had patients with same-sex couples. And how does it matter? A child who is loved by two people is the best blessing, according to me. There are so many children in the world who are not loved by anybody. We know that. And I know that is, that is the reality of many underdeveloping nations where, you know, because I looked into adoption myself as well, and we wanted to adopt from India, and even adoption is such a long process. Um, so, and it, it takes resources even for that, but we need to speak about it, but we don't, because there is this issue overall, I feel, from society's point of view, that we, we don't want to push this agenda. You know, from a socio-political environment, socio-political agenda way, if you look at it, uh, we don't invest enough into looking into women's uh, gynecological issues. There is not enough research going on into any of these uh, issues, be it polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis. We are not developing any medicines um, enough for that. What we want is, we want people, as Dawn pointed out, people who can work for you. That's why we want women who are back straight after three months is, is hardly any time. You know, even a year after. I mean, a year after, your baby's only a year old. What are you going to do with a year old kid? They can't stay home by themselves. <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking as you were chatting, oh, the ambulances are giving it jet today. I don't know if you can hear this on the recording. They're up and down. I hope everybody's okay. Um, I was just thinking as I was listening to you, I, I went back to work six weeks after every pregnancy because there was no support. So I didn't have family around me. I was the only person in my friendship group who had a child because all my friends were waiting. They didn't really, no one had babies till they were in their mid thirties. I had my first at 26. And my husband, was like you're going back to work and that's that and what's interesting is that i didn't question it i was just like oh of course that's what i'm going to do because in my head i had to prove that nothing had changed and it took me probably till my kids were really mid to late teens to start addressing some of the internalized nonsense i had all i believed about what should I, what a woman should be doing like i believed i had to be like a man I really believe that I had to be like driven or that all men are like this, but this was the rubbish that was going on in my head. I had to be at work. I had to be bringing in money. I had to pay my way. Nothing could change. Um, and so I, 
I, I got a nanny, I went back to work, I was teaching classes all over London. You know, I taught 25 classes a week, right up until, God, I don't know, my kids were about 10 or something. They all were in school clubs and kids clubs. I mean, on the one hand, as it turned out, eventually I was a single parent, so I needed to earn that kind of money. I, I had to, there wasn't a choice. Um, but at the, at the point where I was still married, that was, wasn't, it could have been different, but it, it just wasn't possible. But I think women need to be able to reclaim their voices. And I would go further than that. I would say communities need to reclaim our identity as supportive communities. So it can't just be women saying, this is what I need. It has to be everybody saying, this is what the community needs to bring up a family. Mm. So you, you know, your partner, however that is, or your partners, you may have more than one. They, it's about coming together and saying, we've got this child. How can we best support you who's produced this child, our family unit and the child going forwards? Because mm. that's a healthier way. And we have to look at our own internalized feelings about what does it mean to stop and just take care of that child? And it might be you, the person that's given birth, but you're not the person that chooses to stay at home. It might be the other person or persons. And that's fine. Mm. You know, given, if given my time now, if I went back, I'd probably say, you know what, I'd like a year off. And then I want to go back to work and you can have a year off. That would suit me for me. That would be great. Cause I like work. I love it. Um, but I would, I, I'm sad that I didn't bond in the way I could have done with my kids when they were babies because the, the adrenaline and drive in me was like, you have to get back to work. There's no choice. That's what you've got to do. And I, I think I lost out for that. And I know my kids lost out for that. And I know our family lost out for that. But these are the kind of conversations that we need to look at. And it's such a big subject, isn't it? Daniel, go on. It was just, you know, from a societal perspective, you know, it's so important that we, to evolve, we do look at the way that people that are having children are treated. And also, you know, on the other end of the scale, we also look at the way that we deal with people's grief, because actually those two things are prevalent in everyone's lives in some way or another. And if it's not affecting you, it's affecting someone within your family. And actually, you know, as organisations, as businesses, as communities, we start to talk about actually what we really need rather than being told what we think we need or being told, oh, you've got three months off maternity or, you know, you can have a week off after you spouse has died or your dad's died or your mum's died actually and then we need you back in you know you need to stop your grieving then <laughs> you know and this is a whole thing isn't it you know capitalism in itself has forced us to actually not deal with these emotional responses that we're having and then it comes out in some form of disease within ourselves whether it's a mental disease or a physical disease you know or illness that that happens yep yep um, absolutely. I mean, I think we have uh, overall repercussions of the fact that we don't talk about women's issues in in anything. Yeah, everything about a woman is <laughs> uh, is a taboo. We don't talk about breast. We don't talk about vaginas. We don't talk about periods. We don't talk about women's fertility. We don't talk about breastfeeding. 
every single thing is is a taboo and is seen from a perspective that you know if if you are having okay i just paused here because i was going to say something because if you in a way you know you are a person who has got a particular condition it's almost as if you are not fit then for the society so society doesn't necessarily want to put their resources in in learning about you but here we are talking about the 50% of the world's population right and and how this is then affecting you know the, it's it's a dominoes effect right the fertility issues that we are seeing now are a result of what happened 50 years ago okay men's fertility is decreased in last 30 years 50% since 1970 up to now and there has been a major study that they they have done and they're still following up with that study men's sperm quality testicle size has reduced 50% from what it used to be that is a staggering uh issue right and some of the participating factors is in women's fertility and men's fertility is the contraceptive pill the use of contraceptive pill for women directly and the leaching of contraceptive pill in the water supply okay so this is what we don't understand that we are linked to each other we are not living in a vacuum okay as as a woman you you have your own eggs and you have the eggs for your so when i was pregnant with my baby girl her eventual follicles are already in her so i am affecting my nutrition my my mindset my psychological level is already affecting those eggs so i'm already affecting as a woman especially three generations at any given point of time so that is what we need to understand that we are connected to each other you know and if one thing is not looked after it is going to have a latent effect on something else yeah the rise in pcos the rise in endometriosis the lower libido in men and women in in women directly is a cause of contraceptive pill mm. it reduces libido contraceptive pill reduces fertility in 50% of people so so yes we we need to talk about it i am all for women having the choices but they need educated choice i'm not uh, personally i'm not a person who's only about feminism whatever the cost is not a correct way for women to go forward and in that pursuit we are losing our men you know i have a growing up boy and i'm concerned about him as what is happening with his sexuality what is happening with his fertility what's going to happen with when he start to have relationships you know uh, how is he growing up if if i am all up for being feminist at any cost and i don't care what happens to the men then same thing will happen to my boy so we need to be holistic in our feminism i call it humanism we we need to be supporting everybody you know it's not about i'm a woman i need to be supported no we we need to be support supportive of each other and a society which can sustain itself the mental health issue that is linked with 
I think people, obviously women dumb down, you know, once you have a baby, okay, you, you tend to forget. You don't want to talk about the things that happened to you while you were trying to have, have a kid. Uh, it does not go away. No? When you have been trying to have a baby for five years, six years, seven years, eight years, what's going to happen when you have that child? You are so fearful of losing that kid. You don't give them space enough to flourish on their own because you are mm -hmm. so anxious that you might lose them at any point. Mm -hmm. no? So it's never going to be normal and natural for you unless we speak about it openly. We are aware of our choices. No? Mm -hmm. That if I'm a person who's very career-oriented, I'm happy to earn my millions, then I need to perhaps look into the choice that perhaps I need a surrogate mother who can carry my baby. Or I perhaps want to adopt a child. Yeah. We need to talk about this and to destigmatize it. That is the reason I talk about my kids as IVF babies up front, so that anybody who has any hesitation, it just falls down straight that I'm openly talking about it. And actually, it's so funny because I told them three years, three years ago. So I, I said you were conceived in a tube, and they told everybody in school. Uh, <laughs> you know, both of them, that we were we were conceived in a tube. We are test tube babies. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doctor Ashish, you know, I'm mindful of our time. This has been such a rich and interesting conversation. There's more things I want to say, but we can't. We haven't got any more time. I just would say, could you give us maybe in one sentence? This is going to test you. What would your most important bit of advice be to any family who are trying to conceive? Ooh, 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 you have put me on the spot. Okay, so anybody who's trying to conceive, I would say do something natural. Whatever you are doing, whether it's naturally you are conceiving, trying to con conceive, or you're going through IVF, whatever else, give natural medicine a chance alongside. Use natural medicine alongside. And one more piece of advice I have, and this is probably controversial is that I would advise every single woman, girl, to freeze their eggs. Oh, that is controversial. <laughs> when, especially when they're around 30. And if they are a person who, who is career, more career-minded and would love to flourish in their careers, then save your eggs, freeze them. Daniel, I see you wanted to jump in there. I've just got a question for Ashish. Um, something I ask everybody. Um, obviously, you spend a lot of time taking care of others. How do you take care of yourself? Oh, yes, I'm becoming more and more aware of this. Um, okay, so I meditate. That's my main go-to when I find that it's too overwhelming, I slow myself down. And secondly, I sleep. <laughs> those <two>. perfect <laughs> <laughs> yes yep feeling rested with a calmer mind we can deal with a lot can't we <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you Ashish so much for being here today it's been so lovely to see you and catch up and just I hope the conversation that we've had allows people who are considering going down the pregnancy route or equally going down the route and maybe needing some support to actually reach out to you because you really do have such a, a wealth of information 
and a knowledge that you can offer people. So thank you once um, primarily for offering that service, but also for being here today and sharing your experiences and knowledge with us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, John and Daniel, both of you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Well, until next time, thank you so much for listening to From the Heart. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. If you have any feedback, any ideas, or anyone you'd like us to interview, please do get in touch. You can leave us a review on the Apple podcast um, app on your phone or computer. And this is our last session of the series. So we'll be back with season three. Um, in the spring of 2022, which if you're listening to this now, it may nearly almost be there anyway. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. Um, it's been a real pleasure to be on this journey with you through season two, and we look forward to catching up in season three. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.